You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning again, everyone. Great to see you all here today. And those of you listening by podcast, we welcome you as well. If you're visiting with us uh, over the holiday weekend, it's an honor to be able to share some time together with you. And if you have questions about why a church is meeting in a mall afterwards, we'll be a group of leaders out there that would be happy to answer any questions that you might have, or if you have things you want to talk about as a result, as a result of what you hear in today's message, always welcome that as well. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. That is the first book in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. And if you need a Bible, there should be some in the chairs below you there in the racks, or you can follow along in the Riverside app if you want to follow along there. The live event tab will take you to the notes. It has all the events and all the stuff that's coming up, and all the podcasts are found in our Riverside app as well. You can use the hashtag there to throw out some comments on social media if you would like to do that. And there are also some paper notes that you'll find in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along and maybe jot some things down there. As we've mentioned already, we're starting this series, Divine Intervention. And as we think about the whole idea of divine intervention, we're asking big picture questions, things like, does God still intervene in our world today? And if he does, how does he do that? And why does he intervene in our world today? And do we even believe that he can intervene, that he will intervene, that he wants to intervene in our world today. Maybe that's easy for us to think about in terms of a personal level. Yes, we want him to divinely intervene and personally. Maybe for others of us, it's at the macro level, the, the global intervention of God, or at a national or international level. Wherever you find yourself, if you're, a, if you're anything like me, I want God to intervene, but I would really love to, for him to do it on my timetable. I would really love for him to intervene to my advantage when it's best for me. Can anyone else relate to that? You'd like for him to, but when he intervenes and it's not necessarily to your advantage or for your best interest, at least what you think are your best interest, yeah, no, no, for sure if I really want God to intervene. Well, this month we're going to be talking about four encounters where God divinely intervenes, and there are literally hundreds of them in the scriptures, but we've chosen four that trace for this Christmas series, the first promise of Christmas that we're going to find in Genesis 3 all the way to the New Testament accounts. Today, we're going to talk about divine intervention in our brokenness. And then next week, we're going to look at divine intervention in our restlessness. And we're going to talk about the lives of Abraham and Sarah and how God divinely continued the promise of this Christmas that we celebrate at this time of year through Adam and Eve to Abraham and Sarah. Then in week three, we're going to talk about divine intervention in our barrenness. We're going to look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth from the New Testament who continue the story on, and then ultimately divine intervention in our faithfulness as we look at Joseph and Mary and the birth story. So that's where we're going to be over the next several weeks. Today, we're talking about God's divine intervention in our brokenness. And we're going to be in Genesis 3. We're going to start in verse 1 in just a moment. But I want to invite you just to think with me. The reason, you know, you might be new to the Bible, you might be new to Christianity, to exploring faith in Christ, and you might not be sure, you know, is Adam and Eve just a metaphor? Is Adam and Eve really a a real story? Do they really exist? And I'm going to share with you my bent naturally. I believe that actually Adam and Eve did actually literally exist. 
the reason I believe that is because I think that Jesus believed that, and Jesus seemed to teach that and principles from there, and certainly the Apostle Paul and the first followers of Jesus certainly embraced that coming from a Jewish mindset and a Jewish background. So whether or not you do or not, I'm going to go with the guy who said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise from the dead, and who actually pulled it off, who we believe to be God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever he says and goes with is good enough for me. So that's kind of my bent, my direction as we go through this. Whether you think they're a metaphor or if they're literal, I'm going to go with literal, sit back and enjoy the story because God wants to intervene in our brokenness. So Father, all over this room, there's brokenness. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. And I'm so grateful for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy toward us today. Wherever we find ourselves in this story this morning, would you help us to sense the power of your Holy Spirit speaking to those broken parts, those tension-filled relationships, the difficulty that we experience in our homes, and our marriages, and our friendships, the challenges that we face in our workplaces. Lord, we don't have to look for very far to see the brokenness. We can just look in the mirror. And so we invite you to divinely intervene in our lives as you did in the story of Adam and Eve. And we thank you for what you're about to do in our hearts, in our minds, even in our very spirits and souls. In your name, we ask this, we invite this. Amen. So as we get going this morning in Genesis chapter three, before I read that, I want to invite you to think about a Christmas present. Maybe it was a birthday present. It's the holiday season, so we'll kind of focus on the Christmas present side that you were so excited about at some point over the course of your life. You had asked for it. You had done the research about it. You knew just the right size. You knew just the right color. You you knew just the right um, place to get it. You'd done the research. You'd found the cheapest, the best deal. Uh, And this thing was going to be awesome. Maybe it was clothing. Maybe it was, ladies, it was that purse that just was going to be the most magnificent purse. It had every pocket and gadget that you needed there. Guys, maybe it was a tool or an electronic device or something else that you just thought, this is going to make my life more efficient. It's going to make my life easier. It's going to make my life quicker. I'm going to be better at whatever it is that I need to do. And this thing had gotten so big in your mind. Maybe for you, it was when you were a toy, a kid, and it was a toy. And you thought, this toy is going to be the toy to end all toys. I will play with this thing for months, years, decades. I will die with this thing in my casket when you were a child. You thought, this is just going to be amazing. And it was so big, and it was so grand. And then you got it. And this gift, this present, this package, maybe you got it for yourself, maybe someone else got it for you. This thing had promised grand visions and grand dreams. And at the end of the day, it completely underdelivered. It overpromised. You thought it was going to be awesome and it completely underdelivered. You thought it was going to be everything. Maybe it was tickets to the football game and the Steelers ended up losing and it was a great thing you were expecting. And then you got nothing in return as a result. Whatever that thing is, that's what I want to invite you into today as we look at Genesis chapter 3, because what we're going to see there is that Adam and Eve had this promise of something that was promised to them by the enemy of their souls. They bought into it. They thought it was going to be amazing, but it was a tremendous example, a tragic example of something that overpromised 
and dramatically, utterly underdelivered. That promise that he made was that they would be like God, that they would be divine. And when that actually came, it created nothing more than a huge, awful mess. And God found himself divinely intervening in human history. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, who comes as the devil in a disguise, was more crafty, or he was more shrewd than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now let me just pause there and say, if you read earlier in Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that God has a conversation with Adam about what they were to do and what they were not to do in the garden in terms of what they could eat and what they could not eat. God gave them a free will. He did not force them to be robots. He gave them this free will. Eve was not there. She was not yet created. So the enemy goes at the woman because he knew that she wasn't there when the command had been given. So here's the conversation with that backdrop. Said to the woman, did God really say, let me pause there also and just mention that he uses intentionally the term for God that was not a personal term for God. He uses what we would translate in the Hebrew, Elohim. Now, this was, the, this was a proper name for God, Elohim, but it was not his personal, deep, connected name. This was as if you were to call me Reverend Kennard. Okay, when people ask for Reverend Kennard, I'm usually looking around for my dad. I wanna just be called David, but you could call me, the personal is David. The formal, impersonal would be Reverend Kennard. So this is example. So in this moment, as he's coming to deceive Eve, he's using the impersonal name Elohim of God. He says, did he really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice he begins to cast doubt into this equation. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then here's where she distorts it. And you must not touch it or you will die. That's not what God said. Now, did she distort it because she did it on her own? Or did she distort it because Adam got it wrong when he was recounting the story to her? Don't know. We'll find out someday. Can't tell you for sure. You had to if I had to put money on it, I'd say he got it wrong, but that's just my own personal guess. The woman is having this conversation, and then here's what the enemy says. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He promised them divinity. He promised them this amazing, amazing package, this amazing, amazing gift, and he implied in the process that God was withholding it from them. And he creates doubt, and he begins to create deception in the middle of this, because the devil is a liar from the beginning, Jesus taught us. And this is his lie. His lie to every single one of us, then and today, is that we can sin and that we can get away with it. He knows that we're temptable. He knows that we're seducible. And notice that he speaks only twice here, but he speaks just enough to create distrust, to create doubt, 
to create disobedience. And then he accuses, he begins by accusing God of withholding something from them. And the Bible teaches us throughout the pages of scripture that they, one of the names or one of the characteristics of the enemy of our souls is that he's the accuser of people. He accuses God and he loves to accuse you and I. But the truth is, is that God had their good in store. He had their good in mind from the get-go. And he still has good in mind for you and me today. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, I hope that you found some things that you could really be grateful for because your heavenly father wants to give you his very best. And he doesn't want you to buy into distrust because as we see, things are going to continue to get worse. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she begins that idea of pleasing is craving. She begins to crave it and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That carries the idea that it's, that's a, this is a coveting moment. She begins to covet it. It's that moment when you remember it well in school or perhaps even in the workplace when there's a group of people who are talking and they're all laughing and they're all sharing something that only they know and you're not in the know and you want to be in the know. You know that feeling? That feeling of I'm on the outside? That's exactly what's happening with Eve right here. She wants to be in the know. She's craving that. She's desiring that. And so she took some and she ate it. And there is the disobedience. Notice this. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He was there when God said, don't eat it. He was right there in this moment and he doesn't stand up and he doesn't do what he should have done to obey God. And so that both of them, it says, both of their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. Here is the complete loss of innocence. They had been innocent up until this point and things are slipping away. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made covering for themselves and thus begins the deception. And in this moment, brokenness enters into our world as sin begins and distrust in God occurs. And ultimately, in your notes, brokenness enters when we no longer trust God, when trust exits our brokenness is seen at its deepest level. And it began there in the garden. And this gift that had promised so much, you'll be like God, is now absolutely unraveling our story and unraveling them so that today you and I live in this brokenness. And you know, when you get that package that overpromises and underdelivers, and you open it up and it doesn't work like it's supposed to, or it's the wrong size, or the color is totally not you, they looked like it was going to be that way online, and then you got it, and there's no way to return it. These people, and every single one of us since, have wished we could return this gift that Satan promised and we bit into. This desire to be like God, but in our brokenness we will find hope. That's why we lit the candle today in the Advent wreath for hope. Because we want to remind ourselves that there is hope coming as we continue through this story. They doubted. They doubted the trustworthiness of God. And when they did that, they became most susceptible to sin. 
And you'll notice earlier in the story, God specifically said to them, I want you to govern the earth. I want you to rule over it. I want you to subdue it. And by failing to subdue the serpent in this moment, they allowed evil into our world. And we are broken as a result. Ponder this moment, okay? Ponder this with me. Don't miss this. They had life. Now they would experience death. They had pleasure but now they had pain. They had an abundance of everything. Now they would face a scarcity of resources. They had perfect fellowship with God. Now they would be in alienation and in conflict. The harmony between men and women was broken in that moment. Guilt and embarrassment entered into their inner world. And selfishness started that day. Self-centeredness began that day. We can trace back to this moment in time, racism, legalism, anger, rage, terrorism, bitterness, filthy language, lies, divorce, separation, affairs. I would submit that you could point back to this moment and this is when political parties began. That's funny, come on. This is the moment when everything begins to unravel. This is the moment when brokenness of our bodies occurred. Cancer, the loss of sight, the loss of hearing, heart attacks, kidney failure, lung cancer, aches and pains, broken backs, broken bones, all of it can be traced back to this moment. In fact, the very promise of Christmas begins in this moment. This is the moment why you suffer, or perhaps maybe you have overcome it now, but you suffered throughout junior high and high school with acne. Right here, this is when that happened. That awkwardness and tensions in relationships, the devaluing of human life, it all began right here in this moment. Brokenness enters when trust in God exits, and we're still reaping the tragic loss of our innocence and our purity and our wholeness. In verse eight, it continues, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and here it changes. It's no longer Elohim. This, the writer says, is Yahweh, the Lord. This is his personal name. This is his close, connected name. In this moment, he's revealing himself as a God who's walking through the garden, desiring to be in close proximity. We sing and we think about it all the time at this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the first glimpse of God being with us face to face in an intimacy that he desired, that he had had with Adam and Eve. And he walks through the garden in the cool of the day. It says that they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Brokenness, you see, doesn't just come by itself. Brokenness brings shame. Brokenness brings shame along the way. You don't just get brokenness. You see, you get some shame that comes with it. They hide. They hide in the trees. There's significance in the fact that they hid in the trees. We'll get to that in just a bit. But they hide there because they're full of shame. 
because they're experiencing the fact that sin and shame are a package deal that go hand in hand. And guilt is the fact that you've done something wrong. Shame is the embarrassment of the, over the fact that you've actually done the thing that's wrong. And guilt can actually lead you to confession. It can lead you to repentance. But shame causes you to run from God, causes you to hide, causes you to get further away from God. And so we see in verse nine, but the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He begins with a question. And the good news for you and for me today is that God searches for you even when you're broken. Right now, even in the midst of what might be for some of us the deepest, darkest sin time of our lives, maybe no one else knows what we're facing. God is walking through the garden in this room right now with us by the power of his Holy Spirit saying, where are you? He's searching for you. He's calling out to you. Are you responding? Are you ignoring him? Are you running toward his voice or do you find yourself running away? Notice that God's divine intervention begins with questions. There in that verse, he says, where are you? Was, it, was he like, I know I saw him just a little bit ago. Where did they go? You know as a parent what it's like when you know good and well what the answers are, but you're asking because you ask questions as a good parent to draw your children out of hiding. It's exactly what our heavenly father does with us. He asks questions and you're gonna see him ask who, what, where, all of those kinds of questions in these next few moments. Not because he doesn't know the answers, but because he wants to draw us out of hiding and he wants us to experience breakthroughs in our brokenness. And they come when we're honest about the questions that the Holy Spirit asks us. He says, continuing in verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. Notice the despair in his voice. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God said again, asking a question, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then things, as this invitation begins to open up from God, what happens to all of us at some time or another happens exactly to Adam and Eve. In this moment, he begins to get defensive. Adam said, the woman you. Actually, God, it's the woman that you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this you have done? The woman said, guess what? It's not my fault. It was the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And you know, brokenness isn't just alone. It brings shame and it also comes with pride. It comes with a pride and a pushing back and an arrogance if we're not real careful. It settles in. And it says, actually, you know, God, that gift that you gave me, that amazing woman that I said, whoa, wow, look at her. I'm going to call her Eve. Now is his very scapegoat. 
to push off his guilt, to push off his shame, to push off his embarrassment on her. And she does the same game. And when you, she plays the same game. When you play the blame game, you don't accept the invitation of God to find help in your brokenness. And pride and arrogance sets in. We have this opportunity from God. They had it as well to when we get convicted, when we experience the whispers of the Holy Spirit that are speaking to us about the things that we've done that are in our brokenness, are hurting ourselves or are hurting others. We have a choice to receive that and repent and turn to God and find help in our brokenness or we can do what they did. We can push it back. We can ignore it. We can reject it. And sin will justify. It makes excuses. You know, I wouldn't have said that if she wasn't like that. I wouldn't have done that if she or he wasn't like that. You know, we wouldn't have done this or we wouldn't be experiencing this if it wasn't for this set of circumstances. And we make excuses all the time for our brokenness because with brokenness comes our pride. And it's hard for us to humble ourselves. It's difficult for us to submit ourselves to God. It's a wrestling that they had then and we're experiencing it still today even as we sit here in this place. Continues in verse 14. In the midst of this poor decision making, in the midst of this victim mentality, God begins to pronounce his discipline, his judgment. And he speaks to the woman, he speaks to the man, he speaks to the serpent. He doesn't curse the man, he doesn't curse the woman, but his words of discipline for the enemy are huge. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or I will put hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head Here's the deliverance that is promised. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In this moment when he's talking to the enemy, he's saying, I'm gonna put distance between you and people. But ultimately, there's gonna come a day when Eve will have all of these children and we'll trace it all the way through to the birth of Christ. And yes, devil, you will strike his heel. It'll be as if that's all you could manage, even in the death and the resurrection of Christ, and ultimately he will crush your head. You will be utterly and completely defeated. And this is the first moment when he refers to the offspring of Eve. This is the first moment that we get a glimpse of the promise of Christmas and the ultimate promise of Easter. In this moment, the very first time Jesus is ever shadowed and referred to is right there in Genesis 3. And we will trace that all the way to the birth and the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this moment, in the moment of divine intervention, what happens is, is that in our brokenness, God introduces grace. He gives us something that we do not deserve, but we so desperately, desperately need. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this gift of grace neither overpromises nor underdelivers. 
It is exactly what we need today. It's exactly what they needed then, and it's exactly what you and I need this morning. Grace, his forgiveness of our brokenness. We don't have to live in our shame. We do not have to live full of pride. We do not have to hide. We can come out of hiding and experience his grace that covers all of this mess so beautifully. Now the truth is, the verdicts that day were very clear. Adam and Eve sinned by eating so they would suffer in order to eat. We still work hard in agonizing labor to get food for our world today. She manipulated her husband. She would be mastered by her husband. We still deal with male ugly dominance today. God curses the serpent and he's gonna destroy the work of the devil at the end. No matter how hard we try to get away from all of these things, they're still present because sin is still present because we're still broken and we still need grace. But God also made some tremendous provisions in the pronouncement of all of this. We will die. We don't live forever in our brokenness. God set them outside of the garden that day so that they would not eat of the tree that would make them live forever. And so as a result, we can actually have an end to our brokenness. He offers us children to continue to move humanity forward and endure. An ultimate victory comes through Jesus. I'm so thankful for the verses you'll find in your notes. They're from the New Testament writers who were followers of Jesus, who described some of the things that we've been talking about this morning. Look at it in Hebrews chapter two. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying, notice this, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And 1 John says that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, notice, is to destroy the devil's work. Because of what Jesus did, in coming at Christmas, because of what he did at Easter when we celebrate his death and his ultimate resurrection, he destroyed the devil's work. He divinely intervened into our brokenness. And so my hope, my challenge, my invitation, my prayer is that not just today, but throughout this series and throughout the rest of your lives, you would welcome divine intervention. Specifically today, divine intervention in your brokenness. And I stand before you as one who's been begging God for his intervening work in my own life because I'm broken. I'm a mess. And I need this just as much as any of us. So as you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking about the divine intervention, I want to just draw your attention to some of the cool themes in chapter three that you'll notice. No detail in the word of God should be overlooked. It's so beautiful. You'll see death. You'll see toil. You'll see sweat. You will see thorns, the tree. You'll see the struggle that's there and the offspring. All of those things are traced throughout Scripture to Jesus. He entered our brokenness. He's sweat great drops like blood in bitter agony. He wore a crown of thorns. 
He was hanged on a tree until he was dead. And he was buried, he was placed in the dust of death. But if you notice Genesis chapter three and verse 21, you will see that God there, it says, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. It's in that moment that God sacrifices the first animals because if you haven't tried this recently, fig tree leaves don't last too long. You need something else to cover up. And so he sacrifices animals so that they could have clothing and that would picture the Old Testament sacrificial system that would ultimately, finally, once and for all be fulfilled at the cross. The shedding of blood in Genesis 3.21 is the picture of Jesus shedding his blood for you and for I, for me, for the redemption from our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, our pride. I'm so grateful that God thought of it all and took care of it there in the garden and kept taking care of it through the stories that we're going to see this month and ultimately, finally, completed the work, overcame your brokenness, my brokenness, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. So in your notes and on the screen, what is the brokenness that has you in hiding? You can't talk about this story without asking yourself some questions. What brokenness is there within you? Maybe that everybody knows about, maybe no one knows about it. But there's brokenness and it's got you in hiding and you've been hiding in the trees and it's time to come out of the trees and talk to the one who died on a tree to take you out of your brokenness. What will you do when God shows up in your brokenness, in your sin? Will you hide like they did? Will you blame like they did? Or will you welcome his divine intervention? My prayer is that you would welcome it. It's my prayer for myself and for all of us. So I'm gonna invite you, if you would, as the worship team comes, just to bow your hearts with me, and I wanna pray for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna just walk you through that same thing that occurs in Genesis 3 this morning. Nobody looking around. This is just between you and God right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here. As he was there in the garden, and he's walking up and down these aisles, asking the question to all of us today, where are you? Will you come out of hiding? And if you want to come out of hiding today, if you want to experience forgiveness and grace, if you want to trust in what Jesus did in overcoming death and overcoming hell, overcoming the grave. If you want Jesus to speak into and divinely intervene in your brokenness today, and you want to put your faith and trust in Christ, I want to invite you to slip up your hand so that I can pray with you and for you. Nobody's looking around. Just raise up your hand. God sees those hands.
Maybe there's not a soul level brokenness that you're most concerned with today, but there's another kind of brokenness, a physical brokenness, a relational brokenness, a financial brokenness that you would like God to divinely intervene in. Would you slip up your hand? Let me pray for you today as well. God sees those hands. So Lord, all over this place, some of us are placing trust in you. We're exchanging our shame, our guilt, our pride, ultimately the sin nature for you, your your righteous nature, Christ. In our brokenness, we're asking you to bring wholeness, forgiveness. We acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our guilt. But we're thankful that we don't have to live in it, that you can bring forgiveness, that we can have redemption, restoration, that we can walk in grace that we can experience for ourselves the cross of Jesus in his resurrection, that the Holy Spirit could come and live inside of us. Would you wash us clean? Would you wash us and make us whiter than snow? Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus, as we acknowledge our guilt. We're not proud of our mistakes. We thank you that you're not here to bludgeon us with the law. But in our humility, we acknowledge our need for a savior. We ask you to rescue us, forgive us, transform us. Lord, we know that you divinely intervene in those moments when things are the most broken, when we've not trusted, when we're wrong, when we take matters into our own hands, when we rush ahead of you. Lord, even when we're in hiding, you're looking for us, you're searching for us when we're full of pride or guilt or shame, you come and divinely intervene to save us from our sin. And Lord, whenever you intervene, you always bring truth. You always bring grace. You don't wink at our sin, yet you extend to us that beautiful, merciful grace. So thank you for intervening in our brokenness. Thank you that we don't have to sing these songs with our heads hung in shame any longer, but with hands raised, with eyes raised, with knees bowed, with hearts full of confession, we can find your grace is still sufficient today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.